Welcome to Feathers in My Hair, a Teen Mom Deep Dive podcast. I'm your host, Liz Bentley. Hello, everyone. How are we? Are we doing well? I hope we're doing well. Uh, New 16 and Pregnant aired, and I actually really liked it. I think I'm going to, I not think, I know, because I'm doing the episode now. (laughs) I'm going to talk about this week's 16 and Pregnant, the premiere, Madison's episode, because I thought it was enjoyable and there's some stuff to talk about. But I will say, like, I still stand pretty firm on the fact that 16 and Pregnant is not a good show to recap. Um, I really liked watching this and I think I will continue watching it. And maybe if there's an episode I want to talk about, I'll talk about it. But it's just... I think the reason that it's not very good to recap is because it's like, especially by myself, sometimes I think 16 pregnant's fine, like when I have a guest, because then we can go back and forth. But not that much happens in 16 and pregnant in a way that lends itself to talking about it on the type of podcast that I do. <laughs> so like, Amanda Loves to Hate Teen Mom, who is very, very funny. She does a 16 Pregnant recap that's really good because she does the imitations and it's just lighthearted and it's funny. The Feathers in My Hair, as you all know, is a deep dive, super involved podcast. So 16 and Pregnant is hard to do because they're just obviously one-off episodes. And the thing that makes talking about Teen Mom interesting is that we have... 10 years of backstory on these women and that we've been following them for so long that we know so much about them. So I just don't think that 16 and Pregnant will be a regular feature on Feathers in My Hair, but I do hope to talk about it occasionally. I definitely want to talk about this week's because I just thought it was really good and I have some thoughts on the entire like franchise 16 and Pregnant coming back and what that will look like and what it looks like in this first episode. So yeah, that's that's what we're going to do when it comes to 16 and Pregnant. Sometimes I'll cover it, sometimes I won't. It'll really just depend on if I feel like I have anything to say about it. Because there are plenty of 16 and Pregnant episodes where it's just like, oh, that was good. But like, I don't personally have anything else to say about it. And the point of this podcast is that I scream into a microphone for over an hour every week because I have things to say. <laughs> so stupid. Anyway, hi. I feel like I haven't done a podcast in a while, which is not accurate. I just, at one point, you know, over the summer, I was podcasting like 800 times a week. And now I'm doing it two times a week, sometimes three. So it just doesn't feel like I'm podcasting as much. If you want to listen to my other podcasts, please feel free just to subscribe to my Patreon. It's patreon.com slash Liz Explains. This week's episode was a really fun episode on Don't Be Tardy for the Party. Well, actually, we talked about Don't Be Tardy for the Wedding, but it really was just commentary on Kim Zolziak and Early Real Housewives of Atlanta. It's a great episode. The episode coming out this week, I'm pretty sure I'm putting out uh, an episode on There's Something Wrong with Aunt Diane, which is a tough doc. It's a really, it's a tough one. <laughs> a tough film to watch. So I definitely suggest if you are interested in hearing me talk about non-teen mom things to go to patreon.com slash Liz Explains. You can find the link in my Instagram bio. And the Instagram for this show is feathers underscore pod. Okay. I never want this show to be like 
a whole plug for my Patreon. It's just, I hate that. Don't you hate when a show that you love gets a Patreon and then their whole main feed becomes a plug for their Patreon and like none of their good content is on their main feed? (laughs) That drives me up a fucking wall. So I hope that I never come across that way. Anyway, what's going on in the Team Mom world? One, well, there's a lot of kale stuff to talk about. Let's talk about some kale stuff. So one, Kale has something going on in the Delaware family court system. At the beginning of January, she is being arraigned for something in the family court system. Now, let's talk about what that means, what an arraignment is. An arraignment is where you go in front of the judge and you are read your charges and you plead guilty or not guilty. I mean, Nobody ever pleads guilty at arraignment, basically, but it's kind of like the first step in the judicial process. Well, I I guess like being served or getting arrested is the first step, but that I guess, I don't know. It's one of the first steps in the judicial process. Now, usually there, you actually have two arraignments. You have one like shortly after you are arrested, like within a short amount of time. And that is usually where like you enter your first plea and your bail is set. Not always, but like this is usually how it goes. So like if I got arrested breaking into a house, I would be taken to jail, to county jail. And within, I mean, if you get arrested on a Friday, you don't get, you don't see the judge until Monday, which is why uh, Jesus Nice of Bodega Boys tells everybody every Friday to avoid the bookings, beloved, because if you get arrested on a Friday night, your ass sits in jail till Monday. But if you get arrested on a Thursday night, on Friday, most likely, you will go in front of the judge and they'll set bail and you will like plead guilty or not guilty. And it's a more informal process. And then you have your, I guess that's called a preliminary arraignment, I think is what it's called. I haven't looked at this in a long time. But then you have like your formal arraignment. I mean, it could be a month later, it could be two or three months later. It really just depends on your attorney and the system and you know, just a bunch of bullshit. So I don't really know what's going on with Kale. Actually, nobody really knows what's going on with Kale. Why was I explaining that? Oh, because an arraignment is something that is only used in criminal court, as far as I'm aware, or in criminal cases. So most of the time in most states, family court does not hear criminal cases. So you would not see an arraignment in family court. However, Delaware handles Uh, in family court handles criminal cases that have to do with domestic violence is my understanding, which is why she is going in front. Well, no, it's not why, but that is how it's possible that she's going in front of a family court judge and not like a criminal judge. So we don't know what happened like, we, we just don't. Um, the Ashley said that their site called the Delaware Courthouse, uh, the, the courthouse that's responsible for this case, and they they said that, like, they don't post this information because it is family court, which means it is all sealed, which makes a lot of sense. Also, Delaware doesn't put their records online, which is annoying as fuck. If you live in Pennsylvania, this is not true for every state, but it's absolutely true for Pennsylvania. Every single court case is on the internet. If you go to PA Unified Judicial System, type that into your search bar, you go to the site, you can look up like common pleas. Um, you can look up basically every single court case. Like if you want to know what somebody 
you know, got arrested for in the state of Pennsylvania, just mosey on over there. And you can search by like the type of case, their name. I think you have to put in three um, search requirements. So usually you like will pop in their county too. I, but you don't always need that. But if you want to see what somebody you know in Pennsylvania got arrested for, feel free to go on to PA Unified Judicial System <laughs> site. It's super easy to navigate. They have a ton of info. You see all of their charges. You see what charges they pled guilty to, what charges got dropped. You can see what their punishment is. So anytime somebody I know gets arrested, what I do is I mosey on over there and look at what they got arrested for because I'm nosy as fuck. So yeah, that's that's a fun thing. <laughs> Pro tip, if you didn't know that, and a lot of states have this stuff online. I mean, they don't, it's not like court records. Like you don't know what happens like in the court. It's not a transcript, but it's the details of the case. So Delaware does not put this online, which I find to be really fucking annoying. To get this information, you would have to go to the courthouse and get it from the, what is the name of that? There's a name for the word that is like records, but in court cases that I can't think of. But you would have to go to the office and probably pay like a dollar a cop, like a dollar a page for copies, maybe like 50 cents a page for copies. It's annoying that you have to do that. You can do it because all of this stuff is public record, of course, but you can't just like a person just can't hop online. You can see arrests. Now, here's another tip. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure I've talked about this. There is this nationwide service that's called VineLink, V-I-N-E Link. Now, what is this service for? It's a victim advocacy service. So the idea is, and the reason that it, it's set up, is so that a victim of a crime is able to see if the person, their abuser or whoever, the defendant, is like currently incarcerated um, and if they were arrested. So you can see that and then you can sign up for notifications. And it's actually a really incredible system because let's say you are a victim of like a domestic violence type crime and you sign up for the notification. Every time there's a change in that person's custody status, you will get either a phone call or I'm sure they do text now. They didn't do them at the time that I was using this. Um, you get a phone call that basically says like, this offender that you've signed up to know about is being or was released this morning. Um, it's so that like if you are a victim, you know, because otherwise, how would you ever know if the person that abused you was getting out of jail? You you don't you don't know that. So VineLink is really an incredible service. It works incredibly well. I used to have the VineLink alerts for my ex-boyfriend. <laughs> Not like to protect myself. It just gave me good information like I needed to know. Also, it will call you every 15 minutes until you pick up the phone and put in your pin. And once somehow I got I got on the list for somebody that like lived in Kentucky. I have no fucking clue how I, this got attached. And they were calling me every 15 minutes. And like, obviously, I didn't have a pin code. It was a nightmare. <laughs> it was a real nightmare. But so VineLink is a really incredible service. I think each state powers their own. In PA, it's called PA Savin, S-A-V-I-N. But you can get there via the VineLink site. And if you type in an offender's name in VineLink, their full name, it will let you know if they're in custody or not. Or if they, and you can see if they've like recently been arrested or if they're out on parole. You can't really, some states you can see what for. Florida has a lot of information on there. 
um, I guess probably because of their sunshine laws. Pennsylvania, not as much. It kind of just tells you if they're in custody or not. So all that to be said, <laughs> with Kale, she's not in Delaware Vinelink. Like, there's no record of an arrest for Kale, which is why this arraignment thing is a little confusing because she, it does not seem that she has been booked into the system. However, it's possible that she got booked into the system via family court and they don't report that to Vinelink and that if she had a mugshot, it is sealed because it's family court. So there's no criminal arrest that is searchable or findable for Kale. So um, like two weeks ago, I don't know when this was, time, time's a true flat circle. But a little while ago, somebody was commenting on the like one of the, te- I think Teen Mom Shade account, one of like the big Teen Mom T accounts, you know, that has like 60,000 followers and where I like jack information from to post on feathers underscore pod. <laughs> Always with credit, but like they are the ones with the original content, not me. Um, Somebody was commenting that Kale had been arrested and like her and Chris got in a fight and she got arrested and went to jail, but she was out. Um, I didn't believe it necessarily. I didn't not believe it, but I also didn't believe it because it's just a fucking, I could go and comment on that site or that Instagram and say that, you know, like it's not, it's not a credible source. Like I didn't, I just don't believe random internet comments. Like you all should not. And everybody was kind of like, okay, like maybe, I think that was the general vibe, like maybe, but we don't have any proof of it. And then another, a kale, (laughs) An account run by a person that used to be on Reddit that now is on Instagram and has quite a few followers on Instagram, so good for her, who has been probably the number one Kale hater for (laughs) a long time. If I've been doing this podcast for three years, I was already on Teen Mom Reddit for like two years before that. So they've been running a Kale, um, I don't want to say it's a hate account because I don't think that's fair. Well, I don't know. Whatever it is. They somehow got, I don't know if every single day they go on Delaware and like the Delaware court system and just search her name would be my guess is what uh, some of these accounts do. Like every day, I wouldn't be surprised if some of the big Janelle accounts like don't go onto like whatever her county's website is and or North Carolina's website and search in the information. And while Delaware doesn't have the details online, they do have upcoming court cases that are scheduled online. So you can see if somebody is a court case, you just can't really see details behind it like you can in Pennsylvania. Like you can't pull up the charges. So Kale has an arraignment in family court on January 15th. Now, as I said, a formal arraignment usually takes place like pretty pretty a decent amount of time after the arrest. So it's very possible that Kale and Chris got into some sort of fight um, and then she got arrested and had her initial like preliminary hearing. That's what the second one is called. The formal arraignment in Pennsylvania is called a preliminary hearing. Uh, She had like her initial arraignment and then now is going to go have her formal one in January Um, I saw some people comment that, like, COVID has backed things up, but, like, you wouldn't get arrested and then not get in front of a judge for months at a time. Like, that that will never happen, no matter what is going on with the pandemic. I guess I shouldn't say never happen, because I think that does happen sometimes. 
that rarely happens. But I know there's like that case where the person died on Rikers waiting to see a judge that I'm thinking of. But I don't know the details of that off the top of my head. So it's possible they initially saw the judge and were waiting on their formal arraignment. So I don't know. Usually it's very unusual that you would get arrested and then not see a judge um, get arrested for something criminal related and like pretty serious, which, you know, domestic violence would be. And then you just like straight up do not see a judge for six months after the fact. That would be quite unusual. I don't know, though. Maybe that's what happens in Delaware. I'm not an expert on Delaware's court system. So the speculation is that after Chris cut Lux's hair, they got into a fight. And Chris got on Instagram Live as he does eight times a day. That kid is on Instagram Live 24-7. I've had people ask me, like, how come you don't talk more about, like, what Chris says on his Instagram Live? It's like, because I cannot watch those. I am the Goldilocks of drama, as I've said to like many times. Chris being on Instagram Live eight times a day is too much drama for me. I cannot, I can't go there. But apparently on this Instagram Live, he said that Kale and him got into a fight and basically implied, like he like put up like a punching motion and then he said something like, I wouldn't say what she did, but implied that she hit him, right? And the thing is, though, is that Chris trolls a lot. Like, he says a lot of wild shit because on that same Instagram live, he said that he was going to scalp Lux next time he sees him just to hurt Kale. So, you know, like, I don't really believe almost anything that Chris says, but I also don't really believe almost anything that Kale says. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that <laughs> either or. Um, so, Kale also apparently said on her podcast, I believe, I'm not quite sure where she said this, I think on her podcast. By the way, she started a new podcast with a V called Baby Mama No Drama, which is a terrible title. It does not flow, but good for them, I guess. Kale said that she was, did not act like herself or something along those lines, like said she acted out of character. So there's speculation that she hit Chris And she got arrested for it. Now, remember, there is currently, as far as we know, a protection from abuse order against Chris for Kale. So, yeah, who really knows what's going on with that or if we'll ever know what's going on with that or if anything will ever happen? You know, it's possible that this gets dropped before she even goes in front of the judge. I'm really not holding my breath that we will know or that we will see what happens. Kale is just not acknowledging this. So, I mean, do I believe that Kale hits Chris? Yes, because she hit Joe and she hit Javi. Do I believe that Chris hits Kale? Absolutely. Um, Do I believe that they maybe have one of the few mutually abusive relationships? Yes. The thing is, they say that there aren't really that many mutually abusive relationships, that there is almost always a primary aggressor. And then what we see as a mutual abuse is really just uh, like a victim starting to defend themselves, essentially. I don't know how true that is, but that's what they, the, the people that do the studies, say or said back eight years ago when I was still an undergrad and reading about this shit. But... They do happen sometimes, and I would believe that Kale and Chris physically fight one another with each of them instigating the physical fight, 
an equal amount of times. <laughs> I don't mean to laugh. It's really, it's really not great. It's really not great. So yeah, that's where Kale and Chris are. I mean, they'll probably be back together. They'll probably conceive another baby before she even goes in front of the judge. I just don't understand. I mean, I understand. I understand. I shouldn't say I don't understand because I do logically understand that it is really hard for Kale to leave Chris because they are in this mutually abusive situation and she comes from a very toxic family and she is desperate for family. But I I also like can just cannot understand what she's doing and why she has wasted five years of her life hung up on this guy that treats her like shit and that she apparently treats like shit. Like it's really, it's very sad. It's really very sad. And I hope that the kids are safe, basically, is where I am. Okay, I'm going to take a really quick break. And then I guess we will just talk about Kale this week and the rest of the episode. So they're definitely starting to run out of footage. <laughs> on Teen Mom 2. We're at the beginning of them running out of footage and we are getting some self-film confessionals, which we were already getting, but now you can kind of tell that like this is what's happening and going to be happening. Let me actually look at when Addie's birthday was. Okay, so Addie's birthday is February 4th, which is where we are in the timeline this week. Remember, they don't film Teen Mom every day. My understanding is what they do is they, like, come in for a week at a time. Like, the crew comes in for a week or two at a time and films and then leaves and then it comes back. So it's possible this was one of the last times that these people, these people, the cast of Teen Mom 2 was filming. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what next week and the next couple weeks look like. I'm sure they're cutting this together really weirdly to get as much uh, of the show as they can. So, Kale this week is going to Texas, to Dallas, I guess, to visit her friend Sterling. Remember Sterling? Yes, her and Sterling are still friends. There was a rumor once that Kale fucked Sterling's husband and that she didn't really have the miscarriage with Javi that she had an abortion. (laughs) Truly only based off of an anonymous comment left on a blind item. (laughs) And people really believe that shit. (laughs) It's so stupid. Her and Starling are still friends. Oh, God. That's like the most... That's one of the Teen Mom rumors that gets me so fucking annoyed because it is truly based on nothing. Nothing. Except a fucking anonymous comment on a blind item that probably wasn't even real to begin with. So Kale is going to see her friend Sterling. She's bringing the kids and she's going to invite her sister. She says she and her sister haven't talked in like six weeks and she's not really sure how they're going to, how it's going to go. And basically not that much happens in this episode except that Kale tells the boys, the older boys, that they are going to meet her sister. They have a cute moment where Isaac's like, but I thought you said your mom only has one kid. And Kale explains like, no, she's my she's my sister from my dad, kind of like how Vivi is your sister from your dad and Eli is Lincoln's brother from his dad. It's the same thing for me. Kale spends this episode letting us know that she's worried about introducing her kids to her sister because she doesn't want them to like meet new cousins and 
meet an aunt and then not have that person in her her life, which I do understand. Like, I, I get that. I don't know. I guess it's hard for me to understand because I don't come from a family like Kale's. But, like, I have cousins that I've seen... <laughs> Like, four times in my entire life. Like, I have cousins that I have not met many times because my mom is the youngest of five. Her oldest sibling is 20 years older than her. So there's a huge age age range difference between my mom or between, like, me and my cousins. I think my oldest cousin is late 40s. I'm 32 Oh, she must be in her 50s now, would be my guess. I think she's in her early 50s. Um, She looks great if she is in her early 50s. I'm not totally sure. But her youngest daughter is 18. So, you know, and she has three kids. So they're a lot older than me is what I'm saying. And so it's not like we, like, played together. And the family lived all over the country. Some of them live in St. Louis. Some live in Chicago. Uh, Now quite a few live in North Carolina. Three of her three. Two of her siblings moved to North Carolina. So them and their kids and family are there. But like basically everybody lived far apart from one another. So we just like didn't see them a lot. Like, and I never felt like they were like coming in and out of my life. I think we were talking, I talked about this on the nicknames thing, but like most of my cousins on my mom's side call me Elizabeth because that's how like little they know me. And like, that's like what my fam my family calls me because we have like a formal relationship because I truly do not know them very well <laughs> like at all. <laughs> I just don't know them. Um because we're, you know, when I was like 12, I remember going to stay with my cousin Gail at her house with like like her and her husband in the home that they owned. Like they were adults and I was 12. Like we <laughs> I don't know why I did that. I wonder if my my mom must have been with me, but maybe staying at my aunt's house, like at Gail's mom's house. We actually all, most of us went to D.C. together, the girls, last last summer. I think I talked about it on this podcast. And it was really nice and fun, but like, I don't know, I don't know these people. We, we do not know each other. So I don't really understand like the fear of the kids like knowing the aunt and then the aunt not being around. I think Kale is over projecting on that. I'll be honest. I think Kale is so terrified of somebody like coming into her kids' lives then leaving because that's like what her life was like. And I don't think when it comes to like an aunt or a cousin that her kids are really going to be affected by this because the reality is, is as Lincoln and uh, Isaac let her know, they have a lot of cousins. I don't think Isaac might have first cousins. I uh, Lincoln might as well. I don't know. I don't know if Javi's sister has kids yet or if uh, Isaac or Joe's brother have kids yet. But between, you know, like they're with their second cousins a lot or I don't know how you differentiate between cousins. It has never made sense to me. It's never going to make sense to me. There's no point in ever trying to explain it. I have watched watched visual representations. I just don't know how it works. But I'm sure they're with like... uh. Javi's, I know they're with Javi's cousins a lot and they're with Joe's cousins a lot. So they're with their extended families a lot. And I I definitely understand why Kale wants them to feel like they have an extended family on her side because I'm sure it's very difficult that she doesn't have that. 
and that she feels like I'm sure it sucks that she feels like when her kids think of like their family, like, yes, of course, they think of their mom. But then like if you were if you ask them about their family, it would all be people from their dad's side because Kale doesn't have a family, which is kind of how I felt growing up because while I never saw my mom's siblings and cousins, my dad's side of the family, we shared a beach house. And so we all lived together in the summer and we all lived within I mean, 30 minutes, we lived in the same place. So we saw each other all the time. Like, as you know, cousin Julia is my best friend. Like we work together all the time. We're all very close with one another. My little cousin Brian will like call me and we talk on the phone for an hour at a time. Like we are really, really close. So when I think of my family, I think of my dad's side of the family because we were together all of the time when I was growing up and we're still together semi-regularly. So I mean, not there's family drama now. Well, there's always been family drama, but now now people have decided to actually like acknowledge a family drama, which means that we don't get together as often. Before it was like everybody would just like fucking hate each other, but then like live in the same house for two months at a time. <laughs> it was really unhealthy. But I'm sure that that hurts Kale and hurts her that like when her kids think of family, they don't necessarily think of her. And beyond just like her being the mom. So I like I get why she wants them to know her sister and her sister's kids. Absolutely. What I don't really think is true is I think that Isaac and Lincoln and Lux will be fine if they meet Kale's sister and Kale's sister's kid, their cousin, and then like don't see her again for a while. Like, I think that Kale is really worried about how it'll affect them, but I don't think it will affect them that much. I think, obviously, it's different if it's, like, a boyfriend of Kale's that comes in and out of the picture, like Chris, or, like, uh, maybe Kale's had some friends that were, like, nanny for her that just she, like, falls out with so they don't see her anymore, like Bone. Although I think they may be friends again. But remember, Bone was, like, living with them, essentially, and then dropped off the face of the earth. Like, I'm sure that affected them. But I think when it comes to a long-distance cousin that already wouldn't be in their lives very often anyway because they live across the country from one another, I don't think Kale needs to be so worried about it. But essentially, like, she tells the kids, and then she finds out that her sister, I don't know if this is before or after the fact. I don't know if they went. Um, I honestly, I don't think I wrote in my notes. So I don't know if they went to Dallas and then the sister didn't come and she's recounting it or there that must be what happened <laughs> I don't know Kale FaceTimes her friend Mark and is basically like my sister didn't come she said that she couldn't come and she I'm really disappointed she got bit by a dog and says that like she just can't come see me and I told the kids that she was coming and I just am really let down I actually didn't think she was being that rude about it. Like, I I thought it was more about, I really did think it was more about, like, Kale's feelings. Like, I feel let down because I want to have an extended family. It didn't seem so much, like, anger at her sister, right, if that makes sense. It seemed more anger at, like, the situation. And she really wasn't being outrageous. She wasn't really shit-talking her sister. It was just kind of like, this sucks. Well... Apparently, I don't know. I guess Kale was saying shit online because then her sister got on Twitter and was basically like, fuck you, Kale. There's more to the story. I was made to look like a villain on Teen Mom, which she 
she really wasn't. She really wasn't. And she's like, MTV didn't want to show my side of the story, which no shit. This drives me nuts. Devon was tweeting about this recently. Like, when will side characters understand that MTV is not interested in showing their side of the story? We don't care about Kale's sister's side of the story. Well, I mean, like, I do because I'm an obsessive nut. But like in general, like the sister side of the story is not relevant to this TV show because she's not even a character on this TV show. We've seen her twice on this show. I don't even know what she fucking looks like. If she popped up on another show, I would not recognize her. I think her name is Michaela. Like, I don't know anything about this girl. So when she is like, it's unfair that MTV just portrayed me this way and didn't let me tell my side of the story. It's like, yeah, no shit, because you're not a character on this show. And it's why you don't agree to go on reality TV shows. (laughs) How long have I been telling you all this? Like, don't agree to go on a reality TV show, especially one where you have you are like a side side character, not even a main side character. Like Devon, at least is a main side character. Like this sister is like third tier cast member. Like she, they're not going to tell her side of the story. Of course not. But she said she was like brutally attacked by a dog, which like that's scary. And her mom had just died like right before that. And she just like didn't have it in her to go meet up with Kale, which is totally fair. And I was like, oh, okay, Michaela. Then I looked through Michaela's tweets. Let's just say they weren't great, guys. They were not great. (laughs) She is a Trumper to the extreme. She believes that racism is only happening because black people won't stop talking about it. She believes that if black people just stopped talking about racism, that it just wouldn't exist anymore. I guess at one point, somebody even said to her, like, how can you say this stuff? Like, you have two nephews that are half black. And she was like, this isn't about my nephews. This is just like, basically being like, I don't, I don't care. Now, Kale was a Trump supporter in 2016. Is Kale still a Trump supporter? I don't know. I don't think Kale votes, honestly. I don't think most of them vote. And I think Kale does not vote. I wonder if I can look her up in the registry in Delaware. And maybe maybe I'll do like a, a red, white, and blue who's registered to vote where thing. Uh, because Caitlin and Tyler, they put MTV put out a thing. Okay, hold on. Sorry. <laughs> I'm off track. I am off track. But Kale's sister is a Trumper. Her tweets are awful. Awful. And I would not want to be friends with her. And if I was Kale, I probably wouldn't want to be around her. But Kale, oh, so Kale in 2016 was definitely a Trumper to the extent that, like, she supported Trump. But like I said, I don't think she votes. So, like, does it count if you're a Trumper if you don't vote? I mean, yeah, I guess it does because you're still supporting the ideology. But, like, in the long run, I don't care. That's not true. Yes, it matters. (laughs) Took me a minute to get here. But yes, it matters even if you don't vote. So Kale had a friend at the time. I don't know if they're still friends. I believe her name is Randy. Which, by the way, I've never met a non-Jewish woman that's named Randy. Randy is, like, quite a popular name for Jewish women that are in their, like, 30, their 40s. In the 70s, like, Jewish people love to name their kids, like, Randy and Stevie and, like, give them, like, masculine names like that. I don't know why. There's more of it I can't think of, but she had a friend named Randy. <laughs> so off topic. She had a friend named Randy and... Randy was like a hardcore Trumper and Kale would like her tweets. I specifically remember her liking one about 
um, Hillary Clinton's site being all sold out of extra large merch, basically implying like Clinton supporters were fat. <laughs> because I remember being like, that's really insane. <laughs> Kale also back in the day would post All Lives Matter stuff, but now she seems, I guess, more liberal. Like now she seems like she isn't as into that stuff and I haven't seen her I haven't seen her liking tweets. I think if she was liking tweets like that, it would be posted places. So I don't know. I still think Kale's probably not registered to vote and will not be voting. So I don't know who she supports in 2020. Like, I know she doesn't say all lives matter anymore like her sister does because her sister is an all lives matter freak. But yeah, that's that's it for Kale. I... I don't know. I feel for her that her sister didn't want to meet up with her. I understand the disappointment, but I also think that Kale is over-exaggerating the importance of her sister and her kids' lives because she wants it to be more important. But I think the reality is, even if they saw um, her cousin, like her sister once or twice a year, like I just don't think they would be that close with them. I don't know. Maybe it's different because of technology now, but no, because sisters... Her sister's kid is, like, 10 years younger than Isaac. Maybe the babies would eventually be friends. You know, like, Creed, Lux, and this cousin would all get along because they'd be within similar ages. But I think that Kale's just really overestimating, like, how her kids will feel about her sister. And it makes me sad, and I know she's doing it because, you know, she's doing it because she, like, is desperate for her family. So I guess that's it for Kale. I really like when Mark's in an episode. I really like Mark. I think he's a nice person. <laughs> um. Okay, Chelsea. <laughs> Guys, get Chelsea off this fucking show. What are we doing? <laughs> I do not give a fuck that Aubrey is getting a phone. And also it's like, okay, Watching a child pay for their own phone when a 10-year-old has managed to save, like, $700 is not as meaningful to me as watching somebody pay for their own phone that, like, actually, I don't know how to word that correctly, but basically they're going to let Aubrey get a cell phone, which I think is totally fine and reasonable. I think the point they made about the land, like, kids not having landlines anymore, so the only way... Uh, to talk to your friends is via the phone. I think though a lot of kids use their family, like their family iPads if they have them. That's also an incredible privilege to have a family iPad to like FaceTime and iMessage or like an iPod touch. I think some of the kids will use, but I also think that it makes a ton of sense that Aubrey have her own phone because she goes to the Lens once a month or however often she goes. And if I was Chelsea, I would want to have direct communication with my kid. I think that if your kid spends a significant amount of time out of your home regularly, it totally makes sense that you want a cell phone for them. I think that 10 is not too young for a cell phone. I mean, at 10, I had full fucking unmonitored internet access to whatever the fuck I wanted, which wasn't great. I mean, did Julie and I give out our numbers and our addresses and then she was actually stalked by somebody and her family had to change their phone number and somebody was driving up and down their street? Sure. Sure that happened. 
<laughs> but I don't think a 10 year old with like a monitored phone is wrong. I don't. I think that like we're with the times. I cannot stand people that get older and refuse to acknowledge like technical norms and will be like, my kid won't have a phone till they're 20. And it's like, well, no, they probably will have a phone much earlier because this is just the way the world works now and that kids of privilege get phones when they're pretty young which Aubrey is a kid of enormous privilege. By the way, Chelsea's fucking house, the new house they're building, is so ugly. It is so ugly. They have a whole fucking Instagram for it called Down Home DeBoers. First of all, it is on a barren piece of land. Like, if I was Chelsea, I'd be bringing in $100,000 of landscaping just to put around the house because it looks so fucking barren. It's not even winter yet. It is completely black, the home. At first, I thought they were just doing a black barn, which I was like, oh, that's cool. That's chic. Now they're doing the whole house black, which I think there are some incredible black houses. Like I love like a gothic style Victorian black house. Love that. I also think there is a way to do a farmhouse, which is, you know, they're very much. (laughs) What should be a surprise to no one is that Chelsea is very on trend. And that every single thing in this home is like straight out of Chris Loves Julia Instagram. Do you know that Instagram account? (laughs) Where these people just like redo their homes and then sell their homes when they're done so they can move to a new place and redo it. (laughs) But it's very much that, right? It's very HGTV. It's like that modern inside, all white, open spaces, marble countertops. Like you've seen it. Every influencer on Instagram has a house like this, and that's exactly what Chelsea's house is going to look like on the inside. She literally is putting every single trend in there. I actually think a lot of the inside is going to look incredibly dated within five years, but I guess Chelsea's rich enough that that doesn't matter because in five years, she'll just redo her home. So, you know, I mean, I guess when you can afford to, I guess when you're really rich, you don't have to worry about designing super on trend because then you can just change your interior design whenever you want. That must be nice. But they painted the outside of it totally black. And like I said, I think a black house can look so cool. I think even a black farmhouse could look very cool. I have not, I haven't searched yet for one, but I'm sure I could find one. When I saw the description black farmhouse, I thought to myself, oh, that's chic. Like that could be cool. That, I would like that. No, it looks so bad. At least as of now, they have, it's all black. There's no accent colors on it. It looks crazy. It looks really crazy. I don't, I don't understand it. I don't get their vision. I'm hoping they add some sort of trim to lighten it up a tiny bit. Like there's no contrast in it. It just is ugly. (laughs) I know. Is it truly shocking that Chelsea is designing a super modern ugly house? I'm like acting blown away by this. Like there was any other option ever for her house. But Aubrey gets a cell phone and the big thing is that Aubrey's going to pay for it herself. So they like have her take all of her money out of her piggy banks and she's something like $700. And I just, when a 10 year old raises seven, like saves $700, that just shows like an incredible amount of privilege, I think, that like they are getting that much money on like Christmases and birthdays that they can put away. Like, you know, a lot of 10-year-olds and families are getting like $5 every here and there. I don't know. I don't know how to describe this that much. And maybe I'm totally off base. But it just doesn't, 
it doesn't feel like a crazy accomplishment for a very rich child to save $700, I guess is what I'm saying. I mean, I do think it's good that they uh, had her pay for it. I think that that was a good choice. I think it's probably very hard to raise children when you're super rich with like not spoiling the shit out of them, which I'm sure she spoiled in many other ways. But I did. I got what they were trying to do. She got a little iPhone 8. It was like $550. She had enough money to pay for it. I thought that that was I thought it was a good deal. It's like, we'll let you have a cell phone and obviously they're going to pay for the monthly bill. But like you have to use the money that you've saved to buy yourself. I thought that was totally fair. I thought it totally made sense. I guess I'm just like, okay, like, A rich kid that probably gets, you know, a decent chunk of money from Randy at Christmas and birthdays, like, I'm just not as impressed. I'm just not as impressed. I'm sorry. But I do think I did like that they did that because let's be real, Cole and Chelsea are good parents, right? Like, they're good parents. There's nothing wrong. Well, that's not true that there's nothing wrong with them. I do have some critiques with Chelsea and Aubrey and just like their best friendship thing that Chelsea wants to have. But in general, like, they're good, responsible parents. I did notice there was one point where they were talking about who she could have in her phone. And Chelsea says something about, like, you can have your other dad in the phone, which I found interesting. Um, Because I didn't, I don't know. I'm curious about, like, if Aubrey calls Cole her dad. I'm curious about that. I mean, I'm, he is... (laughs) He is her dad. He is the one that is fathering 24-7 in Aubrey's life. He deserves that to be called that. He deserves that role. Like, I am totally pro-Cole. Do I find Chelsea and Cole unbearably annoying? Absolutely. Do I think they're tacky as shit? A hundred percent. Do I want them off this show? Yes. (laughs) But I think they're, like, at their core, they're fine people who are fine parents and Cole really did like step up and take Aubrey in as as his own and there's nothing to criticize there. I just found it interesting that Chelsea like straight up called him her other dad. I don't think I've ever heard them say that, that Adam is her other dad. I don't know. We'll see. You know, I'll be interested to see like when Aubrey gets her own Instagram in six years and she starts posting about on Father's Day, like what she'll say about Cole And I'm sure it will be like, you are my dad. Like, thank you for being my dad. I mean, by that point, who knows? She could possibly be adopted. I don't know. I don't, like, if there's anything I could care less about, it's fucking Aubrey getting a cell phone. (laughs) Guys, a rich kid got a cell phone. (laughs) Like, who cares? Who cares? Oh, it's such a who cares to me. Okay, um... There's literally nothing to talk about in Leah's segment. Addie had a birthday party. Okay. Thrilling. Thrilling. So fun. Addie had a birthday party. I don't care. I find Addie to be a very... (laughs) People are obsessed with Addie and they think she's like so sassy and clever and whatever. And she just doesn't do it for me like that. You know, she's not one of those teen mom kids where I'm like, more Addie. I'm very neutral towards Addie. So I'm not like obsessed with it. I'm sure some people who love Addie, this is really weird to talk about. She is a child. I am aware of that. But like, I don't know if this was an episode about Isaac's birthday party. I think I would be a lot more interested because I love Isaac. I think he's so cute and nice and Addie is just whatever to me. 
So it's Addie's birthday. The only interesting thing that happens is that at one point, um, well, they decide they're going to have the birthday. Jeremy and Lee are going to have their birthday parties together, which like, okay, cool. Yeah, we know because you guys still fuck. And Addie says something about like how you and my dad are going to get married. And she says it multiple times to the point where she says that uh, Jeremy bought a ring for Leah and Leah's like, he better give that ring to somebody else. <laughs> oh, it made me laugh. I think something happened with um Leah this week. I think the girls got exposed to somebody. I know that Allie had been doing virtual school because she's high risk. Um, but Grace and Addie have been going to school and Grace is doing cheerleading. So like I'm not sure. I'm not sure of that decision when you, like, acknowledge that this one child has to do, uh, like, homeschool online learning because they're such a high risk, but the rest of the family is, like, living out loud, doing whatever they want. Um, but I guess they were exposed or something happened and they had to pull out of activities and possibly out of school. Let me see if she wrote anything about it. Okay, must have been in her stories or something, because people on Reddit were talking about it, but I don't see it on her grid. I only see a post where she's like, we had such a hard week. Thank you for all the support. I don't know. (sighs) Leah's segments are really boring. They're really boring. I hate to say this, but Leah's only interesting in the context of her being in a relationship. (laughs) It's fucked up to say that. Like, I am aware that that's fucked up. But, like, when Leah was dating Jason, that was thrilling. When Leah was fucking Jeremy and her kids were, like, totally involved with it, fun. Leah, like, being single and healthy, me no care, truly. (laughs) Okay, let's talk about Brie, who, this is actually pretty interesting. So, it's Nova's birthday. They're having a birthday party for her at the gymnastics center that she does gymnastics at, I guess. I love that Nova's a little gymnast. I love that. Oh, Nova's such a little precious angel. And at the beginning of it, she's like, Stelita, it's my birthday, not yours. <laughs> They're really cute. Those kids are so fucking cute. And Kara texted me and uh, was like, does Brie love anything more than matching family shirts? And to that I say, no, she doesn't. Brie loves a matching family outfit for her. <laughs> For her birthday. Remember when she got them with Javi? <laughs> then they broke up like one minute later. Oh, classic. Classic. Anyway, Devon is going to come to the birthday party because Devon is involved. But before the birthday party, Brie finds out that Devon took Nova out for lunch, told uh, Brie that he was going out to lunch, but didn't tell her that his mom was going to be there. And this was the first time in seven years that Nova had seen his mom. Now, I have so many fucking questions about Devon's family. So many questions. First of all, his parents and Devon says, he's like, you know, my mom is still raising her own kids. So that's why she didn't make the effort to be involved with Nova, which I guess... (laughs) I guess. I don't know. I don't really buy that. Brie talks about the fact that when Nova was born, she didn't give Nova his last name, Fair, but that she didn't put him on the birth certificate, which I don't know. I If Devon wanted to be on the birth certificate, he could have made sure he was on that birth certificate or could have like really went to court and established paternity, but he didn't want to do that. 
But apparently, uh, Devon's mom, like, cursed Brie out via text and basically told her to fuck off. And Brie was like, I was 16 and she was an adult. And she's, like, texting a teenager to fuck off and we haven't talked since then. And I was like, oh, well, that, at least to me, changes things a little about uh, Bree's feelings on Nova's or Devon's family. I've always kind of wondered like why she seems so hesitant about them. But if somebody cursed me out and then like just started coming around again and like didn't acknowledge it or apologize for it, I would be very not thrilled with it either. I just would not be thrilled with it either, especially if I like wasn't involved in it. And I, I'm sorry, like if you have a grandchild and you go seven years without seeing that grandchild because you make no effort to get along with her mother, it's hard for me to be on your side. Even if, you know, even if Brie is super controlling and protective, like I am sure that they would have let her come over and see the baby or met up with her somewhere to see the baby because that's what Roxanne does, you know? Roxanne, like, makes Brie do that. And if this woman really wanted to be in Nova's life, I believe she really could have been. I would imagine that she just was, had young kids herself and just was fucking, did not like Brie and was just like, I don't really feel like dealing with this, so I'm not going to deal with it. Which sucks for Nova, I guess, but I don't know. I it's very hard for me to watch this and understand his parents. I just cannot imagine having a grandchild that I just straight up don't see. And if you'll remember, Devon basically peaced out for the first five years of his life and didn't start coming around again until MTV showed up. So Bree's just really hesitant on letting him come around, which I think is totally fair. Or letting, well, him come around too, but letting her his family come around because she's like, I just don't trust that they'll be consistently in her life. Now, I know I just said that I don't think it matters that much for uh, Kale's kids because I, because I don't. I just don't. I do think, though, it's a little different with Nova because... It's a closer connection, first of all. They live in the same area. Devon is in and out of her life. So I understand why she doesn't want to add then his family. I think why I agree more with Brie here than I agreed with Kale is because I think when it comes to Kale, like that's just their aunt and cousin. That's like not really a super significant role in somebody's life. Of course, it can be. I say this as an aunt who loves my nieces and nephews so fucking much. And I hope I'm a significant role in their life. But it's just, it's not the same as grandparent and they don't, you know, they don't really know one way from another. And for Brie, it's like that's connected to the dad. So I kind of understand. I, I get why it's different, I guess is what I'm saying. I get why it's different. And she is just not thrilled about it. But they come to Nova's birthday party. They seem really nice. They're a good looking couple. Uh, Devon's father and mother were there. Uh, Roxanne was over the moon. <laughs> Guys, I'm sorry. I cannot help it. But like <laughs> Roxanne's optimism <laughs> is honestly really incredible. Like Roxanne is so good at seeing the plus side in things and like maybe that's enabling and maybe it's like not healthy but like Roxanne if you do the bare minimum Roxanne's like that's good that's good we're glad about that like they showed up and Roxanne is so happy she's so glad they're there I think Roxanne really is able to 
think first about the children. And, like, I think she really just truly wants as many, like, family members in her grandkids' lives as possible. And I think that she doesn't care so much about, like, the in and out thing, which I don't, you know what I mean? I don't know if that's right. But, like, I like the fact that Roxanne is, like, great, they're here. Now they can be in our lives. I mean, she does it with Lewis. She does it with Devon. Like, she really just wants them to come around and I don't know if she's necessarily right, but, like, I enjoy her optimism. I think it is, it makes me feel good when Roxanne, like, when they show up and Bree's, like, all pissed and Roxanne's, like, so happy. <laughs> oh, it's so funny. Roxanne is so funny. She just cracks me up and, like, she true like, you could not talk to Roxanne for 15 years as her friend and then, like, stop by her house and... Rox would be like, oh, my God, you came by. <laughs> oh, man. So, yeah, I I mean, I hope for Nova's sake that Devon's family will be in her life. I think it's really important. I think that we already know that Nova's had image issues, self like self-identity issues in relation to being black and not being raised in a black family. And they've talked about her hair a lot and they've talked about her skin tone. And so I think it would be really amazing if she has a close relationship with her black family. I think that she deserves that. I mean, I think any kid deserves to have a relationship with their father and their father's family, of course. But I think it's especially important for Nova. I mean, the reality is, is that she is a black presenting girl. Yes, she's half Puerto Rican, but when, well, Puerto Rican's like not even, it's a whole thing. She's half Latina. This is like beyond the pale, right? Like this is <laughs> ethnicity versus race, whatever. There's Afro-Latina, so to say that she's like Latin and black separately, but <laughs> I don't know the best way to say this, but she, although she's only half black, well, she's probably more than this is what I mean. She's probably more than half because a lot of Puerto Ricans have black ancestry. But she has a non-black mother and a black father. I guess that's the best way to say it. But she definitely like when you see Nova, she looks black. So I think it's really important that she has access to Devon's family because I think it would be insane if we pretended like that didn't mean anything. And it would be insane if we just assumed that Brie and her family will be able to meet all of her needs when it comes to navigating through this world because we can't pretend like, I mean, unfortunately, like Stella and Nova are going to have very similar life experiences and Nova's always going to look different than the rest of the family. And I think that if she can be around her aunts, Devon's sisters, apparently, you know, he has sisters that wanted to meet her and her grandmother and grandfather and her dad. Like, I think that would be really great for her. And I really hope that that is able to happen. I just... <laughs> I've been thinking about this a lot because I'm doing a book report. Isn't that funny? A book report. Uh, it's a book analysis. And I picked Toni Morrison's The Bluest Eye because it's a book I've been meaning to read forever. And I just had never gotten around to reading it. I've read other stuff by her and I love it, but I like had never read that. And of course, that book, if you do not know, is really about black girlhood and like what it is like to be a black girl in America. And of course, there's like a ton of other stuff that it's about, but that is like a prominent theme in that book. And it's really, it's really interesting. And I hope for Nova's sake that she is able to form a strong bond with her family. Because I think 
I think that nothing negative will come from that. I think it will only add to Nova's life and that I hope that Devon's family can pick up where Brie and her family cannot. Brie and her family will be unable to navigate certain things when it comes to Nova. They just will because they're not black. And so I just really hope that Brie can take a step back and I get why she is annoyed. I get it. Like if somebody cursed me out and then spent no effort ever for seven years to reach out again and then just popped up and pretended like none of that ever happened, I would be fucking mad too. But I think I'm with Roxanne here where the benefit of allowing Devon's family to come around again really outweighs the risk. And I think that Brie is just, she needs to kind of like get over herself, I guess. Um, She needs to be able to realize that this will be good for Nova and that like it will most likely only be a good thing if Devon's family is around and that she needs to step back. And even though she does not like it and she is worried and it's scary and I think it's totally legitimate that she's scared and worried. I think she needs to step back and let Nova be close with Devon's family. Now, I do understand that, like, Devon comes around when he wants to. Like, I get it. Like, I get the issues with it. And I don't, it's weird because I don't think Brie is wrong. Like, I understand her hesitation that they have always been, well, his fa- extended family has always been totally out of the picture. Like, Brie doesn't understand how you can have a grandchild that you just never check on. And I agree with that. Devon kind of comes around when he feels like it and doesn't when he doesn't. And so I understand that Brie is just like, oh, my God, these are more people that are going to be inconsistent in her life and more people to let her down. And I do get that. But I I I'm with Roxanne here, you know, that like she really needs to let them have a chance because I think that will be to Nova's benefit. And I hope that she does. And I like I was glad to see them there. And I bet Nova was glad to see them there because when Brie talked to her about uh, his mom going to lunch with them, she seemed happy about it. She was like, Brie was like, did you know who she was? Did you need to be introduced to her? And she's like, no, I knew who she was. And she seemed happy. And I mean, her, of course, she was being her shy self because Nova's very shy. But in general, like, I didn't, I didn't get the feeling that Nova was uncomfortable with her. I mean, and obviously, like, how would I know I watched a 14 second clip of her talking? But yeah, I guess that's my feelings that I really hope that Brie can look at the bigger picture here and do what's best for Nova. And I hope that Devon's family can prove Brie wrong, basically. I hope that if Brie does make the decision to let them be more involved, like I really hope she does. I hope that his family then takes an active role and be more involved. And I hope that Brie and Devon's mom can move past what happened seven years ago. I hope his mom can apologize to her because I think she does owe Brie an apology because regardless of what happened, Brie was a child and she was an adult. Even if Brie instigated this whole thing, like Brie was a child and she was an adult and that's the fact of it. So I think that Devon's mom definitely owes her an apology and definitely owes her a conversation for why she didn't come around for seven years. Uh, I don't mean to laugh because it's not funny, but like it needs to be acknowledged. And then I hope that, you know, her grandparents are able to maybe form a relationship with Nova that's outside of Devon. I think that would be really great because Devon is very unreliable. He, of course, is getting better and I'm glad to see he's getting better and that he's more stable and Nova seems to be spending a lot of time with him. And I think that's really great. But I don't have a lot of trust for Devon to always stay on the right consistent path. So I really hope that his parents can like make a relationship with the DeJesus family, whether that's through Roxanne 
or Brie and be an active part in Nova's life regardless of what Devon is doing at the time. That's my wish. That's my wish for them. I would also just like to see them more on Teen Mom. I'd like to hear from them. We didn't really hear from them on this episode. I would like to hear their side of the story. And I don't think I'll ever agree with it, but I would like to to hear what they had to say. Devon is tweeting that he's mad that MTV isn't showing him um, being a better person, which I get is probably frustrating. But I think the reality is Devon is very much a side character on this show, (laughs) like very much a side character on the show. And that's kind of on him because when MTV picked back up, He was not really around at the time, and he only rarely came around once MTV picked up again. It took him a while, you know, two seasons or three seasons to really start coming around consistently. So the reality is that this show is about Brie and the people that are in her life. And the people that are in her life are her family. And now Devon a little more. And so, like, I wouldn't mind seeing scenes of Devon, like, getting his shit together because I do think it's good that he is. And I'm happy for him that he seems to have his own apartment. Um, I think now he has his own car I saw on Twitter and that like things are going a lot better for him. And I think that's great. And I would like to see that. But at the same time, it's like, Devon, you're not seen because you're not part of your, like, you're not a main part of your daughter's lives and not your daughter's life. There's not two of them. (laughs) You're just not a main figure in her life. So you're not shown on this show as much. And that if you come around way more often and you're around way more often that we would probably see more of you, kind of like all of Janelle's or Kale's or Leah's exes because they were around and stayed around. That's it. (laughs) Oh, God. I just, I don't know, guys. I love Nova. Where I just said I don't care about watching Addie's birthday party, I deeply care about watching Nova's birthday party. That's what I mean by this. There were two child's birthdays in the same uh, episode, and I think they're the same age. Nova might be a year older than Addie. And one, I was like, me no care. Hope to never see this again. The other was like, I would like extended footage of Nova being cute and having fun at her birthday party. That sounds really not great coming out of an adult's mouth. (laughs) But I hope my listeners understand what I mean. Okay, let's move on to Jade. Wow, I had a lot to talk about this week. I really did not start this episode thinking that I had much to say, but here we are. So Jade is moving into her own salon space, and I've seen some questions about this, and I have the answers. (laughs) Lucky for you all, I have the answers. What Jade did, essentially, was she rented what was her own pod, I guess is the word for it, Where they set up these, this company, by the way, I have my Roku on and as I've talked about, like the, the fucking screensaver for the Roku will always show one ad on like a billboard and it drives by and right now it's something where the person's face has something disgusting on it and I kept looking up and seeing it and it was really upsetting me. I don't even know who that was or what it's for. Nobody cares. Um... (laughs) God, got to stay on topic. Okay, so basically these companies like rent out this space. They set up these pods where it's a small little room that has enough room for a like a washing station and a chair. So it's just like a tiny little version of your own salon because normally uh, 
stylists either work for a company. Like I get my hair cut at Ulta and my hairstylist like is a client of Ulta's and or an employee of Ulta's and she does that because Ulta gives her benefits and like paid days off and stuff like that. And she doesn't have a lot of freedom there. And like once she leaves, she can't come back in and they check her bag and she doesn't necessarily really like that. But it comes with a lot more benefits and that's why she does it. A lot of stylists, what they do is they rent chairs at a hair salon. So they're not really employees of the salon, but they rent the chair. They pay a percentage of their their wages to the salon. I think on top of chair rental would be my guess. I'm not 100% sure about that. And they make their own schedule and they're kind of in charge of themselves, but they're 1099s. They're contractors. You know, they pay a lot in taxes. They don't have benefits. You don't get paid time off. You are a independent contractor. So what Jiggy is doing is kind of like running her own chair, like running a chair in a salon, except that she does like she's not using somebody else's salon space like she doesn't have to I'm sure she just pays like the rent on the unit she doesn't have to pay a percentage out she makes totally makes her own schedule she makes her own hours like she when she wants it to be open it's open when it's closed it's closed uh that type of situation and the reason that this is unique I would say is because Jade is famous, right? Like she is famous to an extent. She has a social media following and most people when they get out of cosmetology school, I would imagine, don't have the clientele or the money to immediately move into and sign a lease in this type of space. Because not only do you probably not have the money to do that, but you just don't have enough clients to do that. But Jade has her name and advertises her service online. And so she probably had a big client base. And, you know, it's the advantage of being famous, essentially, is what I would say is happening there. Jade, though, is no longer in that space because she got evicted, apparently, for like constantly vaping in there and like playing loud music and having people like wait outside of it because they're not really supposed to be and just being a bad tenant but I guess she's still doing hair I don't really know where maybe out of her house she might be doing hair out of her house um so yeah she's no longer in that space but I saw people kind of ragging on her for saying that she opened her own business because they're like, she just rented a chair. But no, like she really was running her own business. There was no salon owner. There was no boss. Like she was the only one working there. So she was running her own business. Um, She just apparently like didn't care enough about her own business to follow the rules. (laughs) And I saw people like she got fired from there. Like, no, because there's no boss to fire her. She got evicted. Did. Those are two different things. And I know that they may seem interchangeable to some people, but they're not. They're really not. Like there's a difference between running a chair at a salon and having a boss and having your own little studio space. There just is. Okay. So what happened in this episode? Oh, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> okay. Okay, 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 okay. Basically, without MTV there, which is so fucking annoying so annoying. Why are they giving Jade a camera and having her film these fights? Because they happen regularly and we're not getting them all on TV and that's upsetting to me. Jade and her parents and Sean were all living together and it was going pretty well. 
And then one night, Sean comes out of the bathroom and Jade sees like residue on the countertop that she was like sure was drugs. So she starts yelling at Sean and accusing Sean. Sean then says like, it's no, it's your parents. It's your parents' fault. And at some point, (laughs) I don't know when this happened. It's a little unclear, this timeline. But apparently at some point, Christy and her husband, I don't even know what his name is, Jade's stepdad, thought that Sean was coming into their room. So they set up a camera in their room and caught Sean going into the room and planting two like pipes, like crack pipes, I'm assuming, because I think Christy has crack. Um, Maybe meth, but I think crack. Sean does dope like heroin, but I, well, maybe he does crack and meth too. You know, some people don't discriminate. But Chrissy says that on this footage, you can see Sean like coming in and he's holding it and he like plants it. Um, Sean later says that he was just looking for a cell phone charger, which also seems believable to me. <laughs> we didn't, they just showed the footage on Chrissy's phone and I'm like, can you fucking, and I was watching this on my phone, so it was one inch tall. I'm like, can you make this a whole screen MTV? Like, what are we doing? Have her send you that footage and play it on the fucking screen. This is ridiculous. <laughs> uh, so... Basically, there a huge fight erupts and Sean and her dad get into like a violent fist fight. Apparently, Sean broke her dad's ribs. Sean was bleeding. Her dad made Sean bleed everywhere. Christy was outside with the baby screaming and then Jade's outside screaming and they call the police and the police basically make everybody leave her house because remember, Jade's the only one on the lease. Jade's the one that pays the rent. Jade is the king of that castle. So they made everybody leave. Uh, her parents and Sean, and she is just like a wreck. Like you can tell she's just a wreck. I just feel really sad for Jade because I think Jade makes a lot of really, really bad choices. And I think she has the potential to make good choices. But I do think that she makes dangerous choices. Like I think (laughs) what I'm saying is like Jade needs to stop leaving her baby unattended with known drug addicts. I don't really understand why she has so much trust in Sean and her parents. I don't really get it. Um, I wonder if part of it is just like a desperation. Like she leaves Chloe with Sean or her parents because she has nobody else that can watch them. And so she just like wants to trust that they're all sober and responsible. Not really sure like how why she makes that choice. But I will say that that is Jade's biggest issue is that she's actively putting Chloe in danger as far as I'm concerned. So I get why people like don't have any sympathy for her. I I get that because I agree like she is putting Chloe in a potentially dangerous situation. But it's just really I just feel so bad for her and I have a lot of empathy for her and I think that Jade wants to do better. I do. I think that Jade wants to do better and she has no idea how to go about that and she has no idea how to cut off her parents. She has no idea how to cut off Sean. I think her and Sean are together right now. I mean, maybe, you know, they were together like a month ago last time I checked. Who knows where they are today? But I think that she would really benefit from some intensive therapy and long therapy and making boundaries with her parents and kicking Sean to the curb and making boundaries with Sean. I think that Jade just has 
absolutely no boundaries and she has a lot of issues that are triggered by her parents and Sean. So she's just like constantly in crisis mode. I think she probably grew up. I mean, I'm sure her house was very chaotic. Her life was very chaotic. And so, and she's still young, you know, Jada's 24, maybe. Um, She's still pretty young. And I just think that she could do better. I do. I do think Jade has potential. I think that Jade doesn't know how to do it because Jade doesn't have any coping skills. It's very, very clear to me that Jade has no coping skills and she goes right to explosive anger, explosive anger as soon as they like get into any type of altercation and then she comes down from it and feels awful. And you can always tell when Jade's in like this emotional hangover because she just like looks awful and so sad and exhausted and I just really, I feel for her, but I need her to start making some better choices. And I hope that she can, like, I hope that she will start to see that, like, she does not need to be her parents' caretaker. But on the other hand, like, she does it because if she says no to her parents, then they are homeless and that's on her. I mean, it's not really on her. We all know it's not on her, but that's how she feels. And I just feel so awful for her. At the end of the episode, this was crazy to me. They come to her house, her parents, they're talking about it. And Christy goes, this is so sick. It's so sick. She goes, you know, I just really don't like you and Chloe being here alone. So like, how about we come and stay with you for a couple weeks until you decide what you want to do to help with Chloe? Because it's just not good for you two to be alone. And Jade goes, she, I mean, she catches it. She goes, you have nowhere else to go. You've been staying in a hotel. Like, yeah, you can come move back in with me. Christy is such a manipulative bitch. Like, fuck you, Christy. Like, the fact that she came in and was really talking to Jade, like, she was about to do Jade a favor and that she's not homeless and needs to live with Jade because she doesn't have anywhere else to go. Oh, God, it just makes my blood boil. And I, at least, at least Jade recognizes it. I think Jade has a little bit of self-awareness that she can recognize, like, how crazy that is. But I think that that's kind of where it ends. She's not sure what to do with the self-awareness. Sean claims that this never happened, that, or he's not, he's still sober, that he doesn't believe in, or he doesn't, he doesn't understand why no one believes him. He said that he was just going into Christie's room to get a phone charger, which... I mean, I guess. I don't know. Do I believe that Sean wanted to, like, set up her parents? Maybe. Maybe. I, I'm not really sure where I land on this. Like, either situation seems possible to me. Like, one of them is plotting against the other, right? <laughs> I'm just not sure whose side I fall on. And ugh, Chrissy's just so awful. Sean is, like, denying, 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 talking to Kristen, by the way, Janelle's Kristen is their producer and she's so fucking good at her job. She's so good at her job. She talks to Jade and pretends like she has no clue what's going on. She talks to Christy and acts horrified by what she sees on camera and how could Sean do this? Then she talks to Sean and is like, I can't believe that she would believe you, your par- her parents over you. Like, Kristen is an incredible producer. And I know that people don't like to watch her because it makes them uncomfortable, but that's how you produce reality television. That's how you do it. That's how it works. You be a manipulative asshole. That's the way it works. Oh, and apparently during this fight, Sean pushed Jade and that's when like her dad flipped out and that's when they really started to brawl. 
And I, I do wonder about like how bad the fight is. I think Jade's a real big exaggerator. So when she says like there was blood everywhere, I'm like, maybe Sean had a bloody nose. You know what I mean? Like, do I believe that blood was everywhere? Like, maybe not. <laughs> oh, Jade, 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 Jade. I just want her to do better. I really do. I think that she can do better. She just really doesn't know how. She does not know how to do better. Okay. I want to talk a little bit about 16 and Pregnant um, because I thought the episode was good and enjoyable, as I said at the beginning. This falls around Madison, who lives in Arkansas, and she is pregnant by her boyfriend, Christian, who is a blob. Like, <laughs> that's, this is another thing that really gets me about 16 and Pregnant is that there are a lot of uncharismatic characters on 16 and Pregnant that would not be cast on Teen Mom 2 or showed often on Teen Mom 2 or whatever, Teen Mom, because they have absolutely no personality. It's a real Kyler situation, if you will. Christian said 18 words this entire episode, maybe? <laughs> a total blob and like not even, like just had nothing to add. And this energy of like the dud boyfriend happens a lot on 16 and Pregnant and that's not enjoyable to me to watch. Okay. Yeah, I want to talk about some things production-wise with 16 and Pregnant because I think it's interesting what they're doing. So 16 and Pregnant came back, of course. It is still considered the same franchise, the new season of 16 and Pregnant. However, it's shot very differently than regular 16 and Pregnant. It really is shot in more of a teen mom way. And if you watch both of those shows, I think you know the difference between that. And I think the reason is when 16 and Pregnant premiered, what was that, in 2008 or 2009, like, young adults and teens still watched MTV. Like, I think I was 19-ish, 19 or 20. I think I was pretty sure I was under 21 when 16 and Pregnant premiered. And I watched it and loved it. And, like, everybody I knew was watching it. And because people still watched one TV, I mean, streaming didn't even exist then. <laughs> we had torrents, but, like, legal streaming, I don't think even existed when 16 and Pregnant came out. Like Netflix streaming, I don't think was a thing yet. Maybe it was in the very early days of it. But we watched MTV still. And so I think that MTV knows that their target audience for 16 and Pregnant is no longer like teens and young adults like it was the first time because teens and young adults still watch MTV. Teens and young adults absolutely do not watch MTV. They don't watch any TV at all. That's the thing. They watch YouTube and they watch TikTok. <laughs> Maybe an IGTV video, right? Like they don't watch MTV. They're not interested in TV. And the shows that are on MTV now are people that are watching from, that have been watching forever. Like The Challenge and Teen Mom, Siesta Keys, I guess people watch you because like it's on Floribama Shore, like, they watched because it's on and it was fun and they liked it. Like, they watched Jersey Shore because they watched MTV back when Jersey Shore premiered. Like, that, it's that type of show where, or that type of channel where it's adults watching it because we watched it when we grew up and kids don't watch it anymore. And I can kind of tell that this is shot and filmed and edited more for an older teen mom fan crowd and I'm not sure exactly how to put it into words but there aren't nearly as many like forced scenes they didn't I don't think they even asked they did the thing like well we're you know how in 16 pregnant the trademark is they like make her 
get with her girlfriends and her girlfriends were like, did you use protection? Did you use condoms in every single episode? They did not do that. I don't think I can't. If they did, it was a minor thing, not super noticeable. There were very few um, like forced conversations. Of course, there were some because it's reality TV, but it felt a lot more natural than 16 Pregnant version one. I think 16 Pregnant version two is better and I like how it's shot and I think it's interesting. They still did that like recap thing at the beginning, but it was less cheery and like, and now I'm pregnant. It it was more just like a setup of their life. I think the whole thing is less cheesy. I guess that's what I'm like going for is that I found the new 16 Pregnant to be not cheesy, where I think that 16 Pregnant original can be very cheesy. And I think that I think that you guys know what I mean by that. I hope you know what I mean. Madison has, okay, Madison's life is very unique, which is why I think she was a really good choice for the first episode of this show, uh, because I can't think of like another situation like this on 16 Pregnant. I'm sure there were some, but basically Madison's mom is a drug addict and her dad has had full custody of her since she was five. She hasn't really talked to her mom in like four or five years. And she lives with her dad and her dad is like this incredible single father. She loves him so much. They're very, very close. And a few years before that, their house burnt down. So they moved in. This is so crazy. By the way, she lives like in bumfuck, Arkansas. They moved into, (laughs) I don't know how to describe this. Her dad's best friend, Dave, lives on a very large property that has two homes on it. One home, which is like the nicer home, and I would imagine they're the original owners of this land, is owned by Dave's parents who are elderly. Like they are in their 60s or their 70s probably, like they're older folks. And I would imagine that they let Dave, when Dave was married, like build a house on their property. I think that is the situation. So Dave and her dad, I don't remember what her dad's name is. I don't know if, I mean, I'm sure they said his, he, they must have said her dad's name, but I don't, honestly, I don't know what it is. But Madison's dad and Madison moved into Dave's parents' house. <laughs> I, I actually, I, her dad might have lived with Dave. No, I think they both lived in Dave's parents' house and they've been living there for years now. They make a point of saying that her, the parents are a little more conservative than they are, but they make it work and they're very religious and Madison and her dad are not. But they are essentially part of this family now. And, you know, these nice people let Madison and her father live in their home. I, They're essentially family at this point. They've been living together for so long. I guess at first I was like, wait, are, her and Dave, are Dave and his dad in a relationship? Like, I, I thought maybe they were together, but Dave has a wife. But you, who knows? Maybe maybe Dave and the dad are together and they have like this modern family going on that Dave's parents are not aware of. And his wife is very much aware of it and fine with it. Maybe they have a little polyamorous thing going on and they just, you know, they don't publicly talk about it because of Dave's parents. That's kind of the vibe I got because it's just a very weird setup that like the only thing to me that makes sense in my head is that Dave and the dad are actually in some sort of relationship. Because I can't really understand, like, the generosity that this family is showing them otherwise. Like, it's very generous of them. So, 
basically they will not, the older parents, Dave's parents will not let Christian move into their home. Her boyfriend's name is Christian. Will not let Christian move into their home because they're very religious and they don't believe in an unmarried couple sharing a bed under their roof. Which is, I mean, I find that to be silly, right? Like I just think that because, because I'm progressive and liberal and even conservatives these days don't really care that much about that. I find that to be really, really silly, but they also are like extremely generous and let Dave and Matt or Madison and her dad live in their home and have for many years. So if they want to have the rule that Christian can't come and move into Madison's room, I think that's totally fair. I mean, I think it's always fair that if you own a house, like you get to say who moves in or not. And I also think they're probably not thrilled to have like a doofus boyfriend come move in. Like that's a whole other adult that's moving into your house. Like it's one thing to have Madison and her dad there, then the baby there, which they're once again, like, they're very religious, they're very conservative, but they're allowing teen, unmarried teen mom, Madison, to live there and have the baby there and keep the baby there, which is very, very kind. <laughs> That's quite generous. So I understand why they don't want a, a whole other adult moving into their home. So the solution is that Madison's dad, Dave, and Christian are going to build a tiny house on the property. Basically, his parents, Dave's parents, said he can't move in here and they don't really have room for him at Dave's is, well, okay, hold on, I'll get there. Basically, first, Christian was living with a friend and his job is working on telephone poles where he goes out for weeks at a time, but... I guess he wasn't really working. He wasn't paying his rent. Eventually, he gets evicted. So he's sleeping on Dave's couch. Dave lets Christian move into his home and sleep on the couch. Dave has a wife and children and a whole life going on in that home. And Christian is allowed to move in. Like, the supportive network of this family is really just incredible. So her dad is basically like... I don't want to be paying for this, but one way or another, like, I know I'm going to be, like, partially responsible for this baby. Like, I think her dad had a very realistic view and wasn't like, well, she's just going to figure it out. She's just going to figure it out. Because I think he knows that she couldn't figure it out. She's 16. She doesn't have the ability to figure it out. So the dad buys a tiny home. Well, they buy like a shed. It's very Brooke and Cody. Remember Brooke and Cody 16 and pregnant when they bought that barn? But they don't, I don't think theirs even had plumbing or electricity. Well, they must have had electricity. I don't know if theirs had plumbing or not. I would have to rewatch that episode, but I don't, I don't remember. But they buy a shed. It's honestly bigger than a studio apartment and they turn it into a tiny home that has a full kitchenette, a full size bathroom, and then like a studio apartment set up in the living room, uh, bedroom area. When that thing is finished and she's moving in, like my jaw dropped. It is so fucking nice. It looks so well done. So well done. It is big. That is bigger than the studio apartments I lived in. The bathroom was full size. As I said, she had a whole little kitchenette area, like a full kitchen, a fridge, like it looked so good. I could not believe the generosity of Dave and his family and her father for building this. And like, just her support network was so rare on these shows. And it was so incredible to see how like accommodating all of these adults were for this girl that made a pretty bad mistake by getting pregnant at such a young age. And instead of kind of letting her figure it out on their own, but also 
giving her the independence. I mean, obviously, most people (laughs) can't just build a tiny home in their backyard. So I'm not like faulting the parents that didn't do this. But I think this is like a really incredible way to give her and it was supposed to be Christian, too. But of course, her and Christian break up eventually. And by eventually, I mean very early into it because Christian is a blob who does nothing. But to give her the space to kind of like parent her own child and be totally responsible for her life, but also the graciousness of, you know, I'm sure she's rent free. I wonder, maybe she has to pay for her own electricity there. (laughs) I'm sure there's no rent. You know what I mean? Like she doesn't have to pay for anything, but maybe electricity. So it's a really incredible setup. Um, Madison's dad is (laughs) amazing. He is so lovely. He, they talk about the fact that he wanted Madison to get an abortion. Um, she said she didn't want to get an abortion because in her view, if you deal, like if you make the problem, you need to deal with it. And her dad is like, well, I don't look at abortion like that at all. (laughs) He's like, that is not what I believe. And I wanted you to get an abortion. I believed you should have gotten an abortion, but I couldn't force you to get one. So here we are basically, but in a much kinder way. He seems really progressive in his values of raising a daughter. He is so non-judgmental. He is so kind. He is so caring. He, at one point, they're, oh, they're talking about the fact that, like, he can't force her to do anything. And he's like, well, I wanted you to get the implant and you said no. So you said you wanted to be on the pill. So I, I let, I said, okay, I couldn't make you take those pills. And now you're pregnant, basically. Like, (sighs) It, he just like without judgment or without cruelty. It was just so nice. Her dad was just like a really nice person. And to see someone on 16 Pregnant just have such a positive support network is so rare. It's so rare. So it was really lovely to see. Um, the one really sad aspect of this is that when Madison got pregnant, somebody who worked at the doctor's office or the public health, I don't like, I would imagine that's like the clinic, um, told other people, because this is a small town, I guess HIPAA doesn't mean anything to them, told other people. And that's how everybody found out she was pregnant. Her school tried to force her to go to alternative school. So she dropped out. I found that to be so, so sad. She's, she said, why should I have to go to the school with the bad kids? I'm not bad. I'm just pregnant, which is absolutely accurate. It's sad to think that there are still schools that are not accommodating pregnant teens. Very sad. So that was kind of a bummer to see that she gave up school essentially because of the way that her school district uh, treated her. The other remarkable thing about this episode is that COVID happens. That baby was born on March 11th. (laughs) March 11th. (laughs) So production leaves. She has to do a lot of self-filming. They talk about like the stores being out of stuff and how scary it is that there's this virus going on and it's bad in Arkansas. And yeah, it's just... She self-filmed a lot of it, but did a pretty good job. It was interesting to see. And yeah, I just really liked the episode. Madison's dad was incredible. That tiny house was, I mean, if every teen parent could have that set up, it's just really great. I would, I didn't check in with Madison, but maybe I should because I'm curious where she is now. I mean, it's only been, what, eight months since then, if that, less than that. Um, so I'm sure like not a ton has changed, but I would like to see how she was doing. And if this is the tone of the rest of the 16 and pregnant episodes, like I'm here for it. I think that it was 
good. I liked that it was a little grittier and darker and less cheesy. And I think that MTV is making a good choice, really obviously aiming at the show at adults and not at like teens and young adults because they don't watch TV. Anyway, that's it for this week. I hope you all have a lovely week and I will talk to you again soon. Bye. This podcast is brought to you by Solid Listen Network. Find me on Instagram at feathers underscore pod.